We are pleased to have with us today South Carolina Emergency Management Division Director Kim Stinson as our lunch speaker today. Mr. Stinson joined the South Carolina Emergency Management Division in 1998 after retiring from the Army. He has been Executive Director since 2013 and provides oversight and coordination for emergency and disaster consequence management planning and response and recovery operations for the state of South Carolina. Among many other disasters in our state over the years, Mr. Stinson has coordinated responses for Hurricane Matthew in October 2016 and the October 2015 heavy rains and severe flooding, which resulted in the largest statewide responses since Hurricane Hugo in 1989. Please join me in welcoming Mr. Kim Stinson. Well, good afternoon. And uh, thank you for uh, inviting me. Does, uh, I'm assuming that a lot of you People in here know Dave, Dave Crumwitty over here? You know Dave? Yeah, well, Dave and I are working on a project together, but I won't get into that. But uh, he said he was looking forward to hearing what I had to say. And I said, well, I said, it probably won't be all that exciting, probably be dull and boring. And he said, well, he didn't care as long as it was short. <laughs> so, well, uh, and I assured him it would be. Uh, I'm going to cover three areas. I want to talk a little bit about our EMD mission uh, very briefly, and then our Hurricane Florence operations, uh, and then uh, also talk lastly a few minutes about uh, considerations in moving forward in emergency management. Our EMD mission is fairly short, and I'll just read that to you. And uh, South Carolina Emergency Management Division leads the state emergency management program by supporting local authorities to minimize the loss of life and property from all hazard events. So simply put, and it's very simple, is that our job is to coordinate the state response to emergencies here in South Carolina. And we are here to support the local authorities. We're not here to go down at the local level and take over or anything like that. We're there to support the local authorities and what they need in terms of assets, uh, commodities, uh, personnel, or technical assistance. Talk a little bit about Hurricane Florence, uh, our last disaster. That's the fifth major disaster that we've had here in South Carolina in the, in the last five years. Um, we initially prepared to do a, a full coastal evacuation all the way from Beaufort uh, all the way up to, uh, to the North Carolina border. Uh, that is pretty, uh, pretty much a major undertaking, and I think probably most of you probably read enough about that you probably know that it is a major undertaking. But it takes us about 24 hours to get set up. Uh, to actually affect the evacuation, and it could take up to 48 hours to actually implement the evacuation and get everybody out of harm's way. Uh, and unfortunately, the evacuation decisions uh, usually need to be made before all the information is available. So it takes us 72 hours uh, to really get in place and make sure everybody gets out, and you don't always have 72 hours in advance in terms of trying to figure out where that storm's gonna go. Uh, and you've seen that before here in South Carolina. Uh, most probably the most dramatic one was uh, about a, year, a little over a year ago for Hurricane Irma. It was heading straight towards South Carolina. And then, uh, fortunately for us, not for anybody else down in Florida, it started to move and then it shifted down to, uh, down to Florida and they had a major impact down there. Uh, but we had to go through some evacuation here in South Carolina as well. Uh, 
So in the end, there was a successful evacuation of two-thirds of the coast, basically from Edisto Island all the way up to the North Carolina border. And we estimated about 455,000 people actually uh, evacuated, and that's out of about 750,000 people that are actually in the evacuation zone. So that's about a 60% uh, evacuation compliance rate. Of course, we had some significant weather impacts uh, from the wind and the rain. The wind, not so much, uh, but we did have tropical storm force winds in most of the state. We had hurricane force winds in at least three counties, Dillon, Marlboro, and, uh, and Marion. Fortunately, there was little uh, wind damage. There was some, but uh, not as much as could be expected, and certainly not as much as we had during Matthew. Uh, and there was fortunately no significant storm surge uh, associated with this system, so that was good for us. The rain, on the other hand, was a totally different uh, situation. Uh, we got uh, 12 inches or more in the PD area, and as much as 23 inches in, in some places, including Horry County. And I think that was kind of the record, a little over 23 inches. Uh, but the rain fell, but we also got significant rain that came downriver from uh, North Carolina as well. Uh, so that what those numbers I just gave you don't really include the, doesn't really include the significant later flooding in the PD along the Little PD, the Big PD and uh, also the Waccamaw and other systems. I'll review some of the key facts uh, or impacts, I guess, associated with, uh, with Hurricane Florence, just to kind of give you a, a sensing of the overall impact. Uh, unfortunately, we did have uh, nine storm-related deaths as a result of this system. Uh, our residential damage uh, was also fairly significant. We had almost 600 homes that were either uh, classified as um, major, or major damage or destroyed, we had over uh, 12,000 homes that were considered uh, moderate damage, and we had another 4,000 homes uh, that were considered to have minor damage. Mentioned already that we had about 455,000 people that evacuated for the hurricane, but there was also an evacuation associated uh, with the flood event as well. And we don't have really good figures on that, but we estimate over 11,000 people evacuated from their homes after the hurricane evacuation uh, because of the floodwaters. Uh, fortunately, uh, power outages were relatively light. Uh, it was about 187,000 compared to over 800,000 for Hurricane Matthew. Uh, and most of those 187,000 customers were uh, restored fairly quickly. <clears throat> I've got some state figures here for water rescues. Uh, you know, DNR and SLED and, and all those folks out there don't have any good figures right now for the, for the, at the local level, but at the state level, those agencies were responsible for uh, at least 129 rescues where citizens were in immediate harm's way. And then over 1,000 uh, rescues would involve primarily uh, removing people from uh, flooded homes and then getting them to some point of safety. So that was fairly significant there. In the sheltering area, uh, we set a new record, really, at least in the last 20 years. At one time or another, we had 68 shelters with over 8,000 people, uh, 8,000 of our citizens sheltered. Um, and that's probably uh, a record at least since Hurricane Hugo um, in terms of sheltering. Logistics requests, we also set a new record there. We had over 1,500 requests at the State Emergency Operations Center that were actioned over about a three-week period. Uh, we also received significant uh, uh, assistance uh, from other states under the Emergency Management Assistance Compact. Uh, we had 39 requests that were uh, from uh, basically 18 states, some of as far away as Alaska, 
and it ranged from swift water rescue teams uh, to aviation assets. And I can't tell you enough uh, or often enough how much help the state-to-state -state assistance uh, is for all our states. And we do uh, whatever we can uh, to send people out as well. We've actually got two people from South Carolina up in Alaska right now working on their, uh, their earthquake recovery. Um, I would be remiss probably if I didn't mention the efforts to keep US 501 and US 17 open. That area east of the Waccamaw uh, could have been isolated. Uh, we're talking about probably close to 200,000 people if those bridges had, had not, not held, if they'd been, uh, been flooded out. And basically that would have cut two, over 200,000, probably close to 250,000 people from the supply chain for an extended period of time. And I can't really tell you how long that would have been, but it would have been very difficult uh, to resupply that area uh, later on. But we, but we did have plans to do that. Uh, probably would have had to done it uh, primarily through air, but you can imagine what it would be like trying to resupply uh, 250,000 people uh, through air assets. What we did as a contingency uh, early on, uh, before we were fairly confident that DOT and the National Guard were going to be able to keep the roads open, is that we did pre-stage food and fuel and other commodities on the east side, uh, as well as encouraging the private sector uh, to keep their stocks uh, filled as much as possible. Uh, but it was a, actually a, a tremendous effort, uh, an extraordinary effort on the part of the Dep Department of Transportation and the National Guard uh, to keep those roads open. I'll give you a few uh, st statistics on the federal assistance to date that we've got right now. Individual assistance, and that's just what it sounds like. It's assistance to individuals and families. Currently, the federal government has uh, awarded about $23 million to citizens here in South Carolina. That's mostly housing assistance, but not all, but the vast majority of it is. In the public assistance area, and that's damages for infrastructure and also emergency protective measures, um, we're looking at probably about $140 million right now, but those numbers move around quite a bit. Small Business Administration, over $50 million in loans. National Flood Insurance Program, uh, almost $100 million from that area. And uh, we expect our non-federal share right now, the 25%, the cost share, to be about $35 million for South Carolina. Um, and we're providing regular updates to the legislature the, to make sure that they understand what the cost factors are. Uh, and as I think most of you know, the legislature, at least for the last uh, five disasters, has, uh, has picked, up the, uh, picked up that 25%. And we'll continue to keep them, keep them informed. Uh, a couple of things on the Hurricane Florence after action report. I mentioned it's still being uh, developed but I'm happy to report we had no major systemic failures. Um, but I want to discuss a couple of areas where we need to improve and also cover some factors that contributed to success. Uh, first area I want to talk about in the areas to improve, uh, we've made some improvements in sheltering in South Carolina over the last several years, but one area where we, we need to do some additional work is to ensure that cots are available uh, during evacuations, and we have not been doing that on the front end, it's generally done on the back end when it becomes uh, untenable for the individuals to go back home and they have to stay in the shelter for a while and obviously need to have some basic, uh, basic equipment. But the Red Cross right now is working on plans uh, to have cots in the shelters uh, during the actual evacuation phase. So we're working through that process. Another area I wanted to mention was uh, we've got, 
I think generally pretty good general plans in terms of flood response and our general plans, uh, the emergency operations plan. But we've decided, that based on the recent experience, that we probably need to develop uh, individual response plans for the major river basins here in South Carolina and drill down and to get into a little bit more detail uh, and allow us to do a better job in terms of the response. In the hurricane evacuation area, we needed to look at two things. One is, uh, and I know not everybody's involved in this in here, but certainly the coastal counties are, is we're going to look at the, the possibility of reestablishing voluntary evacuations, uh, primarily because it's taken place anyways, and perhaps we might want to organize it a little better uh, in terms of our, our overall response. And then the other area that we need to continue to work on, I mentioned with a 60% compliance rate for, uh, for evacuations in the evacuation zones, is that we need to try to increase that number um, higher. Uh, we, we obviously need to do some work on that. But it's very difficult. A lot of studies have shown in the past that there's about 20% of the population that will not evacuate under any circumstances. Um, and then there's probably another 20%. It kind of depends on, on the size of the storm and you know category one storm versus a category five storm and that sort of thing. So really 60% is probably not too bad considering what uh, what Hurricane Florence was. Um, we also need to uh, maybe take a look at some waivers for emergency departments and hospitals that are located in the, uh, in the evacuation zone so that they can stay operational uh, during evacuations because you still, again, you're going to have 40% of your people that are still in that area that, uh, that are going to need some kind of service. Then the last item I wanted to mention was uh, meeting unmet needs beyond FEMA assistance, uh, especially in the individual assistance area, is that right now the average FEMA payout for a, a family or an individual is about $4,000. And you know, quite frankly, $4,000 is good, uh, but it's probably not going to make you whole again. So that's something that I think collectively that we need to take a look at. And, and there's a lot of good work going and a lot of different folks working on it right now, but it's something we need to keep our eye on in terms of uh, future operations. I'll mention four factors that are contributing to success, and I think these are probably applicable for all the recent disasters we've had. Uh, certainly the pre-staging of emergency assets uh, prior to getting the call to mobilize uh, was what we used to do. And I'll just give you a good example right now is the Swiftwater Rescue Teams, uh, the Fire Marshal's Office and LLR deployed those teams forward to the areas that they thought were going to have to have, we're going to have a problem. So when the call did come in, then you can reduce the response time because they're already in the area, and that's paid a lot of dividends. Uh, there's certainly a cost up front that we have to deal with, but you know that's the price of doing business, I think, in emergency management. We can't be like the Maytag repairman and just wait for somebody to call and then mobilize the assets. We need to mobilize the assets early, get them to where they need to go, and then we'll, we'll be ready for the call. Uh, uh, certainly mutual aid, uh, county to county, but you know, unaffected counties helping affected counties is certainly very critical. I've already mentioned the Emergency Management Assistance Compact, that's state to state. That's also very critical in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, operations. Um, also an area that we kind of started up here a couple of years ago, we call it disaster intelligence. It's, uh, you know, what do you think is going to happen? Where is it going to happen? And what do you think we're going to do? What's the actionable intelligence there? And we've made a lot of progress in that. Quite frankly, emergency management has kind of ignored that for a number of years, but we've really made some inroads in that area, disaster intelligence. One of the real success stories here for Florence 
was our ability uh, to use uh, DNRs and others flood modeling so that we could anticipate the timing and the locations of where the flood waters were going to go and then that provide that information out to the local authorities so that they could make their own plans in terms of what they needed to do in terms of that response. So that whole notion of disaster intelligence and emergency management is extremely critical. And then lastly, I, I was talking about this earlier at the table, but they want to know what we do when we're not you know, responding to emergencies, which is a good bit of the time, fortunately. But what we do is we do an extensive amount of planning, training, and exercising. As a matter of fact, at the Seahawk this morning, we've got an exercise going on over there now. And uh, working through that, building the relationships, understanding capabilities on, on what, you know, what you bring to bear as an individual or an agency or a jurisdiction is critical to the overall success of emergency management. So now I'll kind of transition a little bit to some points to consider uh, for uh, moving forward emergency management. I think most of them probably will, will resonate with you or if you haven't already thought of them, but I'm sure, uh, sure they will. Um, but I mentioned just as kind of some background up front is we've had a tremendous amount of progress in emergency management in South Carolina over the last 20 years, and I've been able to be around uh, to witness that, and that's from the county level all the way up to the federal level. Uh, but certainly the maturing of the emergency management profession. Uh, all of the you, people that are associated with counties have professional county emergency managers out there. Uh, many of them have degrees now in emergency management. Uh, there's a certification program in emergency management. Um, and then there's the experience piece of it, which you know is, you almost have to experience some of these events to really understand what's going to happen. And so... Fortunately or unfortunately, we've had an extreme amount of experience here in South Carolina over the last five years. Um, I'll tell you, and I tell a lot of people this, we went nine years in South Carolina without a, a major disaster. We went nine years until 2014 and the, and the ice storm, and then since then we've had one every year. But up to that point, it was largely theoretical. Most of us didn't have that much experience in it. Uh, those of us that were around for Hugo had that going for them and that, that experience, but between the period of Hugo and uh, 2014, the ice storm, didn't really have that much. We had a few, few disasters, but they were not what I would call significant. Uh, Hurricane Floyd, uh, you know, was an evacuation event, but there was very little damage here in South Carolina. Uh, you know, everybody pretty much went home uh, after the evacuation. Uh, certainly there were some problems with the evacuation, and those things have all been fixed. Uh, but it was not a big event, you know, it just wasn't a big event. Um, so all of this, this five years of working together and understanding each other and building those relationships, that certainly has uh, enhanced the coordination between all levels of government. And it takes everybody to, to kind of work through uh, the process. And it's not one agency, it's not one jurisdiction, it's uh, not one voluntary agency, it's all of us working together uh, on the same team to get a, a common goal in serving the citizens of South Carolina. Um, collectively, we still need to work in some areas, and I'll just mention a couple of those, and this is kind of across the board and really didn't apply to necessarily for the Hurricane Florence experience, but I think it's worth, worth commenting on. One of the things that we probably need to do is refocus in emergency management and probably local government as well uh, some of our resources from the preparedness and the response piece to the recovery piece. Recovery is the longest 
and most complicated phase of emergency management. Uh, you know, you, we can get the fire out pretty quickly, but what do you got to do about rebuilding the home, uh, putting somebody, uh, you know, back to work, you know, that sort of thing? That's a process, and it's a long process, uh, and that's something that we probably need to do. And unfortunately, in emergency management, we've we've kind of concentrated on that preparedness piece and that early response piece, but we need to spend more time in terms of our resources and allocating those resources uh, to, uh, to that recovery piece of it. Uh, there's also, uh, I guess, I, I'm not sure they're considered emerging threats anymore but because they're out there, but certainly uh, we work with hurricanes all the time and the potential for floods, but there's some other threats looming on the horizon, and if it's not hit South Carolina, it will at some point, and one of them I know you're very familiar with, and that's cyber uh, security and cyber consequence management. Um, and particularly how it might affect the electric grid. And the electric grid is so critical to each one of us, our lives every day, and our, you know, our, uh, our jobs and everything. Keeping those op operational and, uh, is certainly critical. So there are some threats out there, there's certainly the cyber threat. And then there's also the electromagnetic pulse threat, uh, both uh, through either some man-made operation or also through through uh, nature and you know, space weather that we could that we could have some major issues with the grid, in which it may have some issues in terms of you know survivability at least in, in, in certain areas for lengthy periods of time. So those are a couple of areas that we probably need to get involved in emergency management. I would spend a couple of minutes here talking about also uh, building and rebuilding for uh, uh, sustainability and a couple points on that. The first point is understanding the vulnerabilities. In order to sustain and, and have a resilient communities, we have to understand the, uh, what's the threat, what are the vulnerabilities. And I think for the most part, we've probably done a pretty good job of that over the last several years. We, we continue to work on that, but I imagine I could ask every one of you in here today, you know, what's the primary threat in your jurisdiction? And I'm sure you'll be able to tell me what, what it is. So I think we've done a lot of work in, in that particular area. Uh, but we've got to look at leveraging all the community assets, and I'm not just talking about the local assets, but the state assets and sometimes the federal assets and other states. In terms of that whole of community, everybody's involved in emergency management, and everybody should be involved in that sustainability piece and that resilience piece and how we can make our, uh, our, our homes our, our, where we live more resilient. Um, one area that I think is, is very critical uh, and it's a kind of a touchy area sometimes, is, is redefining how and where to build. Um, it entails identifying and investing in those areas that are not as vulnerable as other areas. We probably shouldn't invest and put homes in areas that are vulnerable. I mean, it just kind of makes sense. But we continue probably to do that. Um, and it's something in emergency management we're certainly concerned about. I'm sure you're concerned about it as well. Uh, but just as an example is, is that, uh, you know, some of the same places in South Carolina have flooded three times probably in, in about the last, what, four years. And so that tells us something. Um, and there's a process going on right now in a number of areas to rebuild some of those homes. But more importantly, right at EMD right now, we're uh, working about 250 acquisitions where the homes will be taken out of the floodplain and turned back into green space. Uh, but you know, if we continue to build in vulnerable areas, we're going to continue to have problems. And then certainly uh, 
you know, accurately pricing the cost of not mitigating future actions. Uh, right now, we're taking a look at, at least in, in the emergency management profession, that for every dollar you spend in mitigation, you're probably going to save five dollars in uh, in actual recovery costs. And that's it was used to be four dollars. They've increased it to five dollars. So there's a cost, but at the end of the day, it's more cost effective to mitigate on the front end rather than it is to recover on the back end. And then I think the last one is uh, won't come as any big surprise is harnessing uh, innovation and technology. You know, that ranges anywhere from infrastructure to information tracking. And the more information we have and the, our ability to, to determine what's going to happen and, and how we operate in the future, that's going to help us. So I don't think that would come as any surprise. But those are just some, a couple of thoughts on the resiliency piece of it. I do have a, a couple of thoughts also on recommendations for successful local emergency management. And I think for the most part across the board, we've got very strong local emergency managers. But these points here... I'm going to talk about are the ones that we kind of need to keep our eye on, kind of keep the, keep our eye on the ball sort of thing to make sure we don't forget about them. Um, and some of it I've kind of talked about before already, but certainly the strong working relationship between the jurisdictions and their local emergency managers. And I usually say the county emergency managers because uh, there's at least one in every county. And a lot of jurisdictions don't have separate emergency managers. Uh, but those working relationships... Uh, so that you know everybody knows who everybody is when the event uh, happens. And then the second part of that is the emergency management process, understanding it and making sure that everybody understands their roles and responsibilities and you know, how we're going to operate together to, to better serve the, the citizens of South Carolina. And uh, we've got a, actually some training that we'll send on the road uh, down to anybody that asks us to do it that talks about elected official uh, interface with emergency management, and we'd be glad to glad to offer that to anybody uh, to take them through that process. And then, I guess also in, in the training and exercise area, encouraging participation in emergency management training and exercises with all the people that are in the uh, jurisdiction that are going to be involved in that emergency response. That's so critical, and that's paid so much in the way of dividends to us in the in the last several years. So I can't uh, overstate that enough. And then the last point I wanted to make is we have to also take care of our families. Um, and so all of us need to have a plan uh, because we, we may end up, uh, you know, being decisively engaged and our families are going to have to, unfortunately, sometimes kind of fend for themselves while we're doing, doing our uh, emergency uh, response and at least the initial recovery piece of it. So having a plan, having it all worked out in advance, uh, how you're going to operate and your division of responsibilities, that, that's critical. We've actually got a tool that'll help you with that right now. We've got the, on, the, on your cell phone, you can download a, an app called the South Carolina Emergency Manager. It's got a lot of good information in it you can carry around with you. It's got most of the information we have on our website, but the, the point I'm making right now is it's got a, uh, an area in there where you can actually develop your own plan. And you know, it's got information about how to uh, put together a disaster kit and how to you know, put down your important insurance information and contact information here, to just think, I mean, if you couldn't go back to your home for whatever reason, you had to evacuate quickly, would you in fact have all that information, uh, you know, on your insurance company and, your, you know, your, your car, all that good stuff, um, even things like medications and that sort of thing? Well, you can put that in, in your cell phone and kind of develop your own plan. So we encourage everybody, not just people in state and in, in government uh, like you all are, 
but certainly, uh, certainly everybody to have a, an individual plan and make it personal in terms of uh, moving forward. So I, I guess uh, hopefully, uh, Dave, this wasn't too long. I'm getting ready to shut it off. It wasn't okay. So, uh, but I, I would like to close with this. This uh, I guess comment, but as we've uh, kind of mentioned here, we've had several fairly large disasters here in the last five years. And South Carolina, quite frankly, has done very well from the local level all the way up to the state level, I think, and has been very successful in that. Um, but if we have another disaster at some future point, and uh, I'm sure we will, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that South Carolina, with its experience and capability and strong leadership, will do well the next time. Uh, and it, it's coming up, but uh, we're going to do well again. So thank you very much for inviting me here today.